This is the Pickle Planet Podcast with Jenna and Tosh. Sit back and get a drink. Let's talk about parenting and how to survive it. Welcome to the Pickle Planet Podcast. Hello, Tosh. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Long time no see. <laughs> I know. It's yeah. like, you know, been a day or two almost. Give or take a couple of hours here and there. Yeah. Uh, so we have a really interesting topic that... Uh, I'm really excited to get on board with today. Mm, yes, yes. I've been looking forward to this discussion since, uh, well, since Dr. Sarah Hardy Walsh posted about mm-hmm. her talk that she was going to give at Review Winter Carnival on this topic of ADHD and anxiety in children. So we were very happy to invite you back to the podcast again, because we love having you here. Thank you for having me. Um, So yeah, maybe we'll let you remind people a little bit about who you are and why you are here to talk about this. Sure. Uh, I'm a naturopathic doctor and lactation consultant practicing in Moncton, and I work with a lot of moms and babies, but also a lot of children and families as well. And so uh, ADHD has been a challenge that I've been seeing come into my office since I started practice over a decade ago, and I'm finding more and more that the anxiety piece is sneaking in there as well. And it was more recently, I say, I would say within the last six months or so, that I saw a, a few little people in a row uh, where their teachers and or families were concerned about symptoms of ADHD. And these little people are in my office sitting perfectly still mm. and coloring and doing puzzles and interacting with me and you know answering my questions and that sort of thing. And I, you know, I can remember saying to a couple other parents, this isn't ADHD. You know, I've seen ADHD in my office. You know, this isn't it. Uh, and so digging further in, that's what prompted me to come up with the image that I had posted, I think that, mm-hmm. that had caught your eye, Jenna, um, in that a lot of, for kids, a lot of the symptoms for ADHD and anxiety can look alike. Um, And we've become so familiar with ADHD and for watching for for those particular behaviors in our kids that when we see those behaviors, that's where our minds go. This this is what it must be. I'm working a lot with families on helping them understand could it be ADHD or could it be anxiety or could it be a combination of both because they can uh, coexist and, and kind of feed one another a little bit when it comes to the type of symptoms that show up. Um, and when it comes right down to getting a, a detailed diagnosis, uh, it's most optimal to have that done through a pediatric psychologist. They know the details of all of these different types of diagnoses and they can help do the proper assessments and things. The biggest challenge with that is that sometimes it can be a long wait especially if we're going the route through our, our healthcare system. If a family doesn't have the means to pay for a private assessment, it can take a while to access those assessments. Um, so the great thing about working with a naturopathic doctor is that we can start to work on alleviating some of the symptoms before a diagnosis even happens um, because we can start working on supporting those systems in the body that might be contributing to the symptoms that the child's experiencing, whether it's ADHD or anxiety or both together. 
So maybe go through that that visual, yeah. <laughs> if you can, in yeah. words of, you know, it's this really great Venn diagram you have of, you know, those those two circles and what overlaps in the middle. So mm-hmm. what are mm-hmm. what are some of those, the, the trickier ones, the ones that are, are you know, kind of uh, in both camps? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so where the two diagnoses overlap, can it can look like inattention and distraction, fidgeting and restlessness, disorganization, uh, challenges with time management and focusing and concentrating and really remembering uh, different things. Uh, And these are all sort of the stereotypical symptoms that we associate with ADHD. Um, And so while while these similar behaviors are showing up, the process is happening in the background in that little person's brain and nervous system look a little bit different. So when it comes to ADHD, I often, when I'm chatting with it about, uh, chatting with parents about it, uh, I refer to the work of Dr. Daniel Amen. He, what he's done is he's used a specialized kind of imaging to look at the brain. It's called a SPECT scan, which looks at the activity in different regions of the brain. And what he's found is that when, uh, when someone does not have ADHD and we scan their brains when they're focusing and concentrating, the activity in an area of the brain called the prefrontal cortex, it's right at the very front, essentially right behind your forehead. Um, when we're focusing and concentrating, the activity in the prefrontal cortex increases. But for children and adults with ADHD, when they focus or concentrate, the activity in the prefrontal cortex goes down. Hmm. And so he talks about for those folks with ADHD, the harder they try, the harder it gets. Because the harder they focus and concentrate, the greater the decrease in in the activity in that prefrontal cortex. So that's associated with those um, sort of stereotypical symptoms we think of when it comes to ADHD. And then what he's done as an extension of that is he's been able to scan all of these brains <laughs> and compare what a brain looks like to the behaviors that are showing up in a child. And he's actually come up with seven different categories of ADHD based on what those scans look like and what those activities look like. And that's also associated with Um, some shifts and changes in the neurotransmitters in the brain, the the messengers that help to carry messages from one area to another. Um, And so that can be really helpful in um, targeting um, how to best address the symptoms in, in a particular child. And a lot of, a lot of folks will ask me, well, Dr. Sarah, we don't really, like, can my kid go and get a spec scan? Most likely not. Right. But with the extent of Dr. Amen's work, he's associated symptoms with those particular types of ADHD. So those symptoms can be our clues when it comes to identifying things. Uh, so ADHD, the harder they try, the harder it gets. That activity in the prefrontal cortex goes down. So why then do we see those similar types of behavioral symptoms in children with anxiety. We associate anxiety with a consistent triggering, sometimes at a more lower, moderate level of the stress response. And when the stress response is triggered in the body, the blood flow in the brain is focused at the center of the brain. That's where our survival mechanisms are. And so 
long ago, if we were being chased by a grizzly bear, <laughs> that blood flow went to the center of our brain so that we could fight or flee and keep ourselves safe. So when we have a little person who's consistently feeling anxious and that blood flow is focused in the center of the brain, how much of that blood flow, how much of that activity is focused at that very front part, that prefrontal cortex? Very little because it's all focused to the center. And so the, as I said, sort of the behind the scenes look at these little people's brains look different, but how they behave on the outside looks similar because those background uh, actions or activities are still influencing that prefrontal cortex. And so how do you go about determining that difference in a child as to whether it's anxiety-driven or ADHD-driven? Yeah, absolutely. So um, something that can be really, really helpful with those little people who are more anxious, actually two things um, that help distinguish sort of that more anxiety picture. Uh, The first is that kids who are anxious often also have some kind of a physical symptom that goes along with those behaviors. So headaches, tummy aches, racing hearts, maybe they feel a little bit shaky, maybe they, you know, maybe they'll describe it sort of hard to get a breath into their bodies, uh, those types of things, muscle tension, um, the, those kind of um, symptoms that we would associate with a stress response, really. Um, the other thing is that for kids who are anxious, when they are in a calm and relaxed environment, those ADHD-like behaviors go away. Mm -hmm. And so those were the kids that I was seeing in my office most recently, right? So at school, when it's a very busy environment, there's lots going on, there's lots of stimulation, um, for some kids that can trigger their stress response and that sort of triggers that underlying anxious response and it shows up looking like ADHD in the classroom. But then when they're in my office and it's, a calm environment it's them and their parent and myself chatting and they're doing something they enjoy like coloring or puzzles or things like that none of those ADHD behaviors showing up because that stress response has been calmed and the blood's flowing to <laughs> the rest of the brain um, to so that it can do its optimal function so how do we go about treating the different things because I remember ADHD or ADD when Mm -hmm. I was growing up they were just throwing Ritalin at kids left right and center right and now obviously that's not the way to go about things because they have so much more research (laughs) behind it but what do you do if you are dealing with a child with ADHD now and it's not anxiety it is ADHD so from a conventional medical perspective the two most common tools are a medication of some sort and counseling support so helping that child navigate those challenges that they're having so how does this child with adhd how can they best get their homework done what kind of things can they you know Uh, What kind of processes can they set up at home or um, what sorts of activities will be helpful in getting that child to their potential that they have. And then when it comes to the medications, it's still a stimulant medication that's given to those kids with ADHD most commonly. And those kind of stimulant medications given to the average person would 
make them feel hyper and make them more awake, but because we know that those kids' brains work differently, um, what it does is it kind of gives the opposite effect. So if those particular stimulants in children with ADHD can help them focus and concentrate and, and that sort of thing. The challenge is that sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Mm. Um, and that's where I often refer folks back to Dr. Amon's work because when he go, he has a really lovely book that goes through sort of all the, the seven different types. And there are a few of the types that either don't respond well to our standard of medication and one or two types that actually get worse wow. with those types of medications. Um, but then there are other options that, that, that those children can have from the conventional perspective. Um, from the naturopathic perspective, we look at what systems in the body are influencing the nervous system. So the brain and the nervous system don't function completely on their own. They're getting feedback and they're interacting with a lot of different systems in the body. And so we talk with parents a lot about the stress response and the nervous system, even in kids with ADHD, because whether it is a combination of ADHD and anxiety, or whether it's an ADHD child who is feeling stressed in some way, that's going to aggravate their condition. And so we want to pull that stress response down as much as we can. Um, the digestive system and the nervous system interact quite a bit. We experience that at its most simplified when we get butterflies in our stomach when we're nervous. It's that nervous system talking to the digestive system. Uh, or for some folks when they're feeling nervous or worried, they find that they have to take extra trips to the bathroom. They've got to go pee more often um, or have bowel movements more often, that kind of thing. Um, so that's sort of the experience of those two systems talking to one another. Um, but a large part of our nervous system exists in our abdomen. And so I always say to folks, if your gut is irritated in some way, it's talking to that gut-related nervous system. And so if the gut's irritated, that gut-related nervous system is irritated, and that gut-related nervous system talks to the big brain mm -hmm. and can kind of irritate and aggravate symptoms that are showing up there. The other thing with the gut that's super interesting is that we're learning more and more about uh, the microbiome, the, the healthy bugs that live in our guts. And we've actually learned that those little bugs help us produce neurotransmitters. So things like dopamine and serotonin and GABA, which are all involved in how we experience the world and how our mood is and how our behavior is, um, those neurotransmitters are being produced and supported by the bugs in our guts. So we're, we're talking with families about how that little person's digestive system is functioning and is, you know, are there any foods that they're eating that's irritating the digestive system? Um, you know, stress can also irritate the digestive system. So all of these things kind of start to interact with, with one another. Uh, so stress response, uh, digestive system, um, Inflammation. Inflammation comes up from the perspective of when there's any kind of irritation in the body. Um, 
the natural response from the immune system is to create some inflammation to kind of clear that irritant. It's there to support us in the short term. But if there's something consistently irritating the body, that more long-term inflammation can create a lot of irritation. It can feed into the stress response. It can irritate the nervous system. I often talk with families about the nervous system sort of being your body's wiring. And so if the wiring in your house were constantly stimulated by something. Like your kid flicking the lights on it. <laughs> yes, right? There'd be a constant buzz. Stop it. From, yeah, there'd be a constant buzz. And so if a little person's nervous system is constantly being irritated by inflammation, that nervous system has a constant buzz, a constant vibration in it. And so how easy is it for that little person to sit still and to focus and to concentrate and, and that sort of thing? Uh, and then the fourth aspect that we look at is that sort of overall balance of the nervous system. How can we help support calm and, and optimal functioning in that nervous system? From your perspective, mm -hmm. is there foods that are common reactors, if you will, like gluten, sugar, uh, in my daughter's case, it's dairy as well? Yeah, yeah. So um, the biggest thing that we tend to look at from a nutrition perspective is, um, well, a couple of things, whole foods versus processed foods. So if we have a lot of foods coming in that are processed and packaged and have things like additives and preservatives and, and those types of things, those are potentially going to create irritation in the body. We know that some um, pesticides and herbicides and, and preservatives specifically specifically cause irritation in the nervous system. So we want to help a family sort of in general overall focus on whole foods and homemade foods as much as possible. Um, organic foods as much as possible if that's a challenge um, because you know let's face it not all of our pocketbooks mm -hmm. can handle organic all the time. Um, I always encourage folks to check in um, at their local farmers markets and chat with the farmers that are there. Where are these products coming from? How are these animals raised? You know, um, how are how are these vegetables and, and fruits grown? Because a lot of local farms raise a natural product, uh, but it's a lot of work for farms to go through that process of getting that officially certified oh, yeah. organic stamp. Oh yeah. Uh, so talk to the farmers, talk to the folks who are right there on the ground and growing our foods. Um, and then the other thing to look at is the environmental working group. Um, they put out a list every year they update it they have the Dirty Dozen mm -hmm. and the Clean 15. So the Dirty Dozen are the fruits and vegetables that are most exposed to pesticides and pesticide residues. And so when it comes to the Dirty Dozen, those are the foods that I ask families to focus on organic wherever possible, um, because that's gonna clear out a lot of those extra exposures to, to the pesticides and things. Um, the Clean 15 are, the fruits and vegetables that have the least uh, amount of pesticide residues on them. So, you know, going to the grocery store and, and purchasing conventionally grown avocado, um, you know, you're not going to get a whole lot of, of exposure to a pesticide uh, on something like that. So we look at sort of 
the, the chemical exposures mm-hmm. in, in kids' foods. Um, and then when it comes to food intolerances or food sensitivities, um, I would say probably the top five that I see are dairy, gluten, eggs, soy, and sugar. Not an exhaustive list, but they're pretty big. And they, those in and of themselves can be a challenge for a family to avoid. Oh, there's, there's so much dairy in things that you wouldn't think, and gluten too, in things that you wouldn't think. Like tomato soup, why is there mm-hmm. gluten in tomato soup? Like why? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't even make any sense to me anyway, but yeah. 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 it's yeah. a tomato. It should be, <laughs> it should be a tomato. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, that's that's where a naturopathic doctor can really support families is, you know, finding those resources, finding kid-friendly recipes and um, nutrition plans and, and those types of things that will support them in making those changes so that we can look at, you know, identifying. It might be sort of avoiding those most common intolerances for a period of time and then reintroducing them one at a time to see you know which is the which is the actual culprit here mm-hmm. if a family thinks that their child has one or the other or both ADHD anxiety are there certain things they should be keeping track of like journaling certain things so that when they come to you or to their family practitioner they have a starting point of, you know, this is what we've been experiencing. What are the things that people should be watching for and keeping track of to share that information? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So I put together something that I called the Health Clarity Journal. It's just a two-page chart uh, for parents that they can print off. Um, it's it's on my website under the resources section. So sarahardywalsh.com slash resources. Um, and basically what that covers is sort of a, a basic overview of what nutrition looks like for the child, um, what their digestive system looks like. So mm-hmm. there we're looking mostly at elimination. Are they having mm-hmm. bowel movements every day? What do they look like? Kids are sometimes a little bit hesitant of looking at their poop, but we can make a game out of it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. and sometimes they love it and yeah. they write it on the calendar yeah. for you. Exactly. We've exactly. done one. Yeah. Yeah. I had one month where it was full of these little poop emojis. Yeah. Go for it. Go for it. Absolutely. We want to look at a little person's sleep. Sleep is huge for kids. Um, and if a child isn't sleeping well, it can aggravate both anxious and ADHD symptoms. So And it can aggravate the parents. And yeah. totally aggravate that the it parents. does. And you know what? When the parents are aggravated, the kids are aggravated. Gee, what, what's the problem in my house? It's a cycle. So yeah, so that can, I mean that can get tricky because you know when when kids aren't getting the sleep that they need, those more challenging behaviors come out more easily, and they definitely challenge us as parents to to remain calm and <laughs> focused yes. on what needs to happen. Calm, yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, so we're tracking nutrition, digestion, sleep. Uh, those behaviors that are popping up and maybe when they're showing up. So if we're noticing things like inattention and distraction and fidgetiness and those kinds of things that we associate with ADHD, um, I want to know, are they only happening at school? 
are they only happening, you know, when the kid's out on the ice playing their hockey game? Are they, you know, tell me when they're showing up. Um, that's something that a psychologist is going to look for when it comes to the diagnosis of ADHD, is that those symptoms are showing up in more than one environment in that, children, in that child's experience. Uh, so when are those behaviors uh, showing up? Um, tracking screen time is really important for kids, both who we suspect might have ADHD and anxiety. Um, the more we learn about screen time and how it influences our brains and how they function, um, that can, can be a big contributor to, to those behavioral symptoms. Tracking just a child's general activity schedule. Um, you know, a lot of times when our children are overbooked and they're so, so busy, it doesn't give opportunity for their nervous systems to be quiet and to kind of integrate what's passed through their day. Um, and that can contribute not only to sleep challenges, but also symptoms of anxiety and ADHD. So they're all kind of things that sort of what we're tracking is all of those things that are influencing a child on a day-to-day -day basis and could potentially be contributing to those symptoms that are showing up through their nervous systems. I feel like I need to do like an, a family audit and yeah. just like keep the journal for like, I, I don't know, how, how long would you keep it to be able to notice what patterns might be there? Like two weeks, a month, like what? Mm -hmm. I, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of folks, they notice within just a week. Um, and, you know, when it comes to the nutrition part, even, you know, on the little journal I created, um, it says weekdays and weekends because, you know, weekdays when it comes to how we eat tend to look somewhat similar. So, you know, give me mm -hmm. a few examples of what you're having through the weekdays and maybe it looks a little bit different on a weekend. Um, so some families will start to notice a pattern right away in that first, in that first week. Um, and that's, you know, at its most basic, that's what we need is at least one week. But if a family is willing to track for, for a couple of weeks and, and see if, if anything in particular comes up, um, then that's, that's great too. Um, if, if families are looking to get a little bit more detail, it just came to mind when it comes to something like screen time, also making a note of when a child is having screen time. So sometimes the screen time that's, show, that's happening right before bed is having a bigger mm -hmm. impact on how they're sleeping and that's rolling into the next day when it comes to their awake time behaviors and, and that sort of thing. So making note of those times of screen time can be helpful too. And what about the content of the screen time? Like, do you, do you ask parents to note whether it's like, are they watching a show? Are they playing a game? Are they on a tablet? Are they on TV? Are they by themselves? Are they with someone? Like, yeah, is that, does that all factor into it, do you it, think? It can. And I feel like the, the baseline that we want to get is sort of the amount of screen time and when it's showing up. Um, but that often comes out in conversation of, you know, what type of screen time is a child having? Like you say, is it, is it a show or a movie or is it a game that they're playing? Is it something that not only is sort of stimulating to the eyes and the brain, but maybe stimulating to the stress response too? You know, I, I know that I can feel it when I'm watching certain things on TV that I feel that emotional engagement in my body. Mm -hmm. um, and that's going to be even easier to trigger in kids um, because they're still in that place of experiencing emotion and learning what it is and and sorting all of those things out you know we have as as grown-ups we have 
these processes in our brains that can remind us that, you know, um, this is what's happening and this is why you feel that way. Kids don't necessarily, depending on the age and stage mm -hmm. they're at, have those kind of higher processes to say, this is why you're experiencing that. They just experience it. Um, and so, so that can kind of layer things on a little bit. We talked about the medications or ways that you can treat ADHD. How similar would it be for anxiety? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, from an anxiety perspective, um, I haven't seen, thankfully, too many kids that are medicated with, with prescriptions. Most often, um, those kids, those families are being referred to for counseling services just to look for strategies in that child's everyday life of pulling down that stress response so that they're not feeling so anxious. From a conventional medical perspective, it is more focused around that counseling aspect of things. From the naturopathic perspective, the approach looks very similar because we're still working with the nervous system um, as the expressor of symptoms. And so we're going to be looking at reducing stress in that child's life wherever we can, making sure that gut is as healthy as possible, um, you know, minimizing um, inflammation and, and calming the nervous system as much as we can. Um, with a really, really big focus of strategies around reducing stress. And when it comes to reducing stress, um, we look at not only the things that we would normally associate with stress, like a mental emotional stress, for us, you know, maybe work stressors or a relationship stressor or something like that, but also looking at what aspects of nutrition might be stressing that little person. Are they exposed to um, different chemicals in their environment, you know, maybe through their foods um, or through, you know, different environments that they're, they're playing in or exposed to? How are their relationships at school and how are they interacting with kids at school and um, how are they interacting with their parents? And, you know, as our kids get older, we don't always necessarily sort of connect with them um, as automatically as we did when they were younger. You know, when they're younger and they're more directly reliant on us, to have that connection just seems a little bit more natural and easier. And But kids throughout their lifetime need some kind of connection to feel that safety and that reassurance and that and that support. So it might be, um, you know, from a stress response, looking at if a family is really, really busy, do they have that opportunity to just be together and to, you know, hang around a dinner table or you know, play some board games or, or connect with one another in, in some way as well. I wish I had been taking notes. <laughs> well, you just listen back to the I know. podcast. While I'm editing it, I'm going to be like, yep. 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 Go to the resource yep. page. Yeah. Get the audit. There you go. I definitely am the same thing doing the family audit because we're, we're in the same boat like our youngest. How do you say this without sounding like an a-hole? <laughs> when... Like growing up, all of a sudden anxiety started, like all of a sudden everybody had anxiety. You know what I mean? I didn't, mm -hmm. it was like the same thing with peanut butter. Nobody was allergic to peanut butter when I was growing up. And then all of a sudden everybody's allergic to peanut butter. Yeah. So uh, in my head, I was like, well, this is like, everybody's just jumping on the bandwagon. Right. And then I had a child mm -hmm. who from the day she was born, there was an issue. Like she was a nail biter right from day one. Like as soon as she got teeth, she started biting her nails. She's got bad skin. She's got bad gut. She's got bad bowel movements. And I'm like, how were you, how did I instill stress on you in my womb? And now like, I don't know how I did it, but anyway, so I'm 
more focused on like I know hers is an anxiety issue I don't believe that she's ADHD I think that there's anxiety like she's a wicked nail biter and she's four and I mean how do I break that how do I you know it's I think it's becoming more and more prevalent in our culture because as parents I know I you know for me I never learned from an early age how to calm myself well if that makes sense you Mm -hmm. know like it wasn't until I was an adult and um sort of exploring some more self-care resources and that sort of thing that I learned about yoga and breathing exercises and all of the different forms of meditation and visualization and that sort of thing those things that can naturally calm our stress response so if if I haven't learned them as a grown-up until I'm grown up, you know, mm-hmm. it's likely that our little people maybe haven't learned them either. Um, and so sort of starting to integrate those practices at home of, you know, maybe it's a, a short yoga practice right before bed, or maybe it's some breathing exercises before bed. Um, one that I've been doing more myself and kind of experimenting a little bit with my son and and chatting with patients about is tapping um, and how it can kind of um, help us release the stressors of the day and um, really sort of set into uh, a place of calm before before we go to sleep. So exploring all of those different kinds of practices that help calm the nervous system while kids are at home in a safe environment with people that they're familiar with will make those things those tools easier for them to call upon when they're out in the world (laughs) Um, and they don't have us to say you know why don't we sit down and breathe together for a few (laughs) minutes or or something along those lines I think it's funny you say it that way because in my house it's the opposite. My kids will do that at school because all of their <laughs> teachers do this with do them. Those, yeah. They do meditation, they do yoga, they do they do all this in the classroom, yeah. and my kids love it and talk about it. And when I try to do it at home, <laughs> can you turn that off? Oh my goodness, <laughs> they like walk away. They're like, no, it does not happen at home. That yeah, <laughs> that happens at school. I'm like, you know what? I'm not gonna fight it. I'm not going to cause anxiety by trying to make you do yoga or meditate with us. Yes, like, yeah. And so if they but, are learning those things yes. at school, reinforcing, okay, that's awesome that you learned that in mm-hmm. school. And you know, do we need to just? Do they just need to be and kind of integrate? And I know my son when he gets home from school, he's totally cool to just play on, you know, play on his own mm-hmm. for ten or fifteen or twenty minutes, just to kind of be in his own space and yeah. in his own decompress zone. and mm-hmm. yeah. decompress. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, the other thing that can be really helpful for kids is when they either see us doing those things without asking mm-hmm. them to do it with us. Because sometimes it's like, well, mom, come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've done that. <laughs> that that's kind of where we're yeah. at in our house now. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is going to be on and yeah, daddy's going to go do yoga. And if anyone wants to join him. Yeah. <laughs> come on. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. He makes sure to tell them, yeah, I'm going to go do yoga now. There were times when people joined him. There were times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lately, it's been solo. But they know yeah. he's doing it. So but it's still, it's part of, it's, you know, it's part of the household. So. Absolutely. It's yeah. part of that teaching our kids by example, mm-hmm. that it's okay to take a break and take care of ourselves. You know, um, even, you know, just the other day when we had the day off, um, there was at, you know, one point in, in the day that I said to my son, I'm just going to go to my room and close my door and do some meditation for 10 minutes. 
is it okay if you just stay here and paint at the kitchen table? Yep, I'm good, Mom. That's okay. Um, and he came into the room about 15 minutes later. Are you done? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> he waited pretty good. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. We've been practicing. Yeah. <laughs> it's built up to 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and you got to start somewhere. That's mm-hmm. and if you haven't been yeah. doing it with your child since birth, yeah. then then they won't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good place to wrap yeah, it up I for agree. this episode because yeah. we've given people a lot to think about and we will of course put all those resources and links on the uh, the blog post for people to be able to find them easily if you're uh, listening to us on iTunes or Spotify you want to go find the Pickle Planet post about this so you can get all the links easily and uh, you can also let people know where to find you absolutely I uh, practice at Clinic Natura in Moncton your website is yeah my website is sarahhardywalsh.com and they can also find me on Facebook. Follow along the Facebook page. Lots of events and tips and that. Those fantastic visuals that draw me in every yeah, time. Yeah, it's true. And you yeah. you really are everywhere, all over town, with doing your baby stuff as well. And it's you're so very versatile. I love it. It's fantastic. You're doing a wonderful job. And well, we're going to yeah, keep having of, you back. Yes. So, well, yeah. well, yes, because you do a lot of free resources for people. Yeah. And people can, can yeah. you know, come to you for services, but you also offer a lot of free things in the community, which is fantastic for mm-hmm. all the, the new moms and parents out there. So, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll put those links up and we, yeah, we will have you back again, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks again. Don't forget, if you like this podcast, to leave us a nice review. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's always nice when we get those little messages of people. And and we know that you're actually tuning in and listening. And if you have a topic that you want us to cover with Dr. Sarah Hardy-Walsh or anyone else we've had on or anyone we haven't had on that you think we should, just uh, drop us a line. Let us know. We are ready, willing, and able. (laughs) 